The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link alongside lead prospect writer James Anderson. Taking a look at the NL East today. Top prospects by team in that division from your latest Farm Futures piece. It's kind of NL East week here at Rotowire. Uh, Doug Thorburn wrapped up his pitching 3D segment with a look at intriguing arms of the NL East last week. Your Farm Futures piece on Tuesday then. Eric Seeger's team previews for that division went up today. And we'll continue that trend looking at one particular division with the Farm Futures and team previews throughout the spring. So 
Uh, be sure to, to keep your eye out for those coming in future weeks. Rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial. Also, before we get started, wanted to say a couple things. We went we went a year pretty much without an intro song. Then we get one and just kind of glazed over it. Shout out to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E, for the song Comb Over. Uh, definitely a great pod intro song, and we appreciate uh, those guys letting us use it. Yeah, they're a local hip-hop duo out of Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, yeah, we... we used to play ball with one of the with the the lead rapper i guess yeah. eric, eric newman and he's done a done a few things for the the basketball coverage at rotowire as well in his spare time so definitely happy to play his music and i mean it also yeah. happens to be really dope music i mean yeah. we had like five or six beats we were kind of picking from that would have all been great but yeah i think it, it worked out pretty well yeah even if we'd had you know copyright uh, the ability to access copywritten music and use it on the podcast. I don't know if we could have found a much better pod intro song, just a mm-hmm. nice smooth groove uh, to lead us in. Also wanted to say, in case you missed it yesterday, Todd Zola made his Roadwire podcast debut yesterday on the pod. Him and D- Derek Van Riper went on for, for quite a while uh, and it was excellent. He's also hosting on Fridays with Paul Spore, so be sure to check that out. This podcast also now part of the Roadwire fantasy baseball podcast if you subscribe to the Prospect Podcast, you'll you'll still find that in your feed. We'll continue to post that uh, under that category, and so it shows up for you if you are a subscriber there. But James, let's dive into the NL East top tens by division again, starting with the Atlanta Braves, who've seen a lot of turnover even this off season, but especially over the past year and a half or so. Dansby Swanson, the top overall pick in last year's draft, of course, brought in from Arizona in the Shelby Miller trade. Love Dansby Swanson, but is he still behind Brendan Rodgers in terms of shortstop prospects for you, just given the he d- that he doesn't have quite as much upside as Rodgers? No, we, we've talked about this before. I'm a, I'm a Swanson over Rodgers guy. I just think I that— I think I had him flipped in my mind, but you, yes. Yeah, I, I understand that there's more upside with Rodgers, but I think that to say that it's a—, a large large amount of a gap there then i think that's underselling swanson swanson's going to steal more bases he's still got 20 homer power uh future power i guess down the road and i think their batting averages will be very similar so i'm going to take the guy that's that's the college shortstop that's going to move quicker and I think that's Swanson. I think that their their upsides are a lot closer than people give them credit for. So I'm going to take the guy that's going to get to the big leagues first. Yeah, you say in this article could be a, a two year gap, uh, a year or two maybe, but th- I mean th- that it, gap is yeah. significant in dynasty. Leagues. And it's it's misleading maybe because they might even start the season at the same level this year. They might mm-hmm. both start at low A, but that's a lot of that's because Swanson missed time last year. I could see him spending. I could see him getting up to high A before the All Star break, and I could even see him getting a taste of Double A before the end of the season. So you know, Rogers might spend the entire year at Low A, mm-hmm. and at that point, going into twenty seventeen, there there could be a potential two year gap between those two debuts. Yeah, absolutely. Now your best bet for twenty sixteen in the Braves organization, Hector Oliveira. Now he was bounced around a lot, not only within the Dodgers organization, you know, battling back from a hamstring injury working his way back up the ladder, but then also when he jumped to Atlanta, 
not a lot of time to settle in uh, with one particular affiliate. Do you think he's better off and able to make the adjustments and catch up to Major League Pitching at 30 now? I mean, he's not really a prospect by traditional standards. Do you think he's able to, to make that transition uh, with regular at-bats and with a full spring training to get ready for a Major League role? I don't I don't want to like predict how he's going to perform this season, but I just think he's going to have the opportunity to at least pl- like play a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I think he he's going to get a very fair shake just cuz that's a, an awful big league roster they've got and especially with them moving him to the outfield, I mean besides besides Ender Inciarte and Nick Marcakis, I mean there's just a gaping gap of of production there in the in the mm-hmm. corner so I think he he should be able to win that job in spring training and, and hold it throughout the season and they don't really have any reason to like play Michael Bourne or Nick Swisher no. really and and they have every reason to develop Oliveira and g- given his age it kind of makes sense for him to develop at the big league level as long as he's not overmatched I don't I don't think he necessarily will be that said I, I don't really love the upside here it's it's kind of maybe fourth outfielder upset, I guess, in, in fantasy leagues. So not a guy that I would be reaching for. I'd kinda I'd maybe pick him off if he was falling in a draft, but I, I wouldn't have him listed as a target. I think that I, I know Keith Law said this was the number one system in baseball. I don't agree with that from a real life standpoint, and I really, really would caution people against thinking that way from a fancy standpoint because after Swanson to me there's there's just nobody in this system that's got a uh, an ideal combination of upside and floor I think Mm -hmm. there's some high upside guys and there's some high floor guys but there aren't very many maybe maybe any after Swanson that I would say have have both those qualities yeah and you mentioned that it is deep but yeah that that kind of premier upside is lacking after Swanson, just to run down the rest of the top 10, Hector Oliveira, Aaron Blair, three, Ozzy Albies, four, Sean Newcomb, five, Austin Riley, six, Malik Smith, seven, uh, Max Freed, eight, Colby Allard, nine, Lucas Sims, ten. I, I just want to say really quickly on, on Sean Newcomb, he's a guy that I could end up being uh, pretty wrong about, possibly, because I'm I'm by far the low man on him, I think, on, on pretty much every list I've seen. He's usually up in the 20s or the the 30s, and I have him down, I think, in the the 70s or 80s on our top 200, and I just think the kind of the biggest, and and, and we we talked about this with Robert Stevenson. Stevenson's probably a more extreme case because he has so many innings under his belt where he has shown that he's got below average command. Uh, Newcomb, not quite as many innings, but still over 100 innings, and a lot of those coming in the lower levels, even when he was just walking way too many guys, I think that there's kind of a big glitch in the the prospect rankings that are out there where high upside arms like this don't get properly discounted when there are legitimate command concerns. I, I think that mm. there's a, a not a bad. I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance that he ends up a, a reliever long term. So that's that's why he's kind of farther down this list than you might expect. Yeah, I've seen him a lot higher on a lot of other lists. But I want to touch on the arm you have ahead of him in the system. Aaron mm-hmm. Blair, you mentioned that he's uh, he could be in the running or was at least uh, a possibility for the best bet for 2016. You went with Oliveira, but on the pitching side, 
probably Blair. When do you see him getting a major league opportunity? It uh, he could win one in camp. Yeah. You know, it's it just kind of depends how aggressive the Braves want to be with him. I I think it's probably pretty difficult to argue he's not one of their five best big league arms right now for that rotation. You got guys like Williams Perez, Bud Norris, Kyle Kendrick, and then you just have a ton of Ryan Weber. You have a ton of prospects. And after that, uh, Blair's probably the most advanced. He's the only arm in this. This system is kind of highlighted by how many arms they have, but he's the only one that I would say has a, you know, 90% chance or better of making it long-term as a starter and being a, you know, mid rotation starter at that. So that's why he's up there. I could see the case for flipping Oliver and Blair on this list and in terms of who you want for 2016 kind of just depends. I mean, I, I would be more, I'd be more surprised if Oliveira had a, a huge fantasy year than if, if Blair ended up being like, like I could see Blair being like a top five rookie pitcher for fantasy this mm-hmm. year. I mean, that wouldn't be surprising at all. So yeah, I think both of those guys need to be targeted in, in deeper mix leagues. And we've talked about Ozzy Albies in, in past podcasts. I want to talk, you, talk to you about another speedster in the system, Malik Smith. Is he a guy who's going to come up this year? And yeah. ultimately, is he a guy that's kind of a fourth outfielder, ideally? Or is he a guy who could be uh, a major league regular? Yeah, I, he'll be up this year. Time will tell, I guess, if he's a fourth outfielder or not. I think... You know, most people from a real life perspective are not huge fans just because I, I think there's some questions as to whether or not the battle play against big league pitching. He's he's a smaller guy, five nine, one sixty. But the speed is eighty grade and he's close to the big league, so in my mind I, he doesn't have any contact issues, so like strikeouts aren't gonna be an issue. It's just gonna be a matter of making contact. He's he's done a pretty good uh, making hard contact I guess and he's done a, a solid job of that at mm-hmm. at every stop so far so there might not be a spot for him without without someone getting hurt in the outfield as a as an everyday player but I could see the I could see more pieces from this roster moving you know I could see mm-hmm. even a guy like Inciarte moving midseason or maybe they find a way to to dump Swisher or Bourne's contract somehow, or maybe a guy gets hurt, maybe Marquez gets hurt or something like that, and then then you have an opening for Smith. So yeah. uh, among the hitters besides Oliveira, I think he's he's the guy to keep an eye on for 2016. Yeah. I mean, if Adonis Garcia flops at third, maybe they move Oliveira back to third, and that, that creates an outfit sure. spot too. Always possible. Now some semi-high-profile names left off your list. At least guys who've been hanging around prospect lists for for a couple of years now. David uh, Braxton, Davidson, Rio Ruiz, Tyrell Jenkins, those types. Is is proximity the main thing holding Braxton Davidson back, or because I mean the on base numbers were great last year, still has some power to tap into, but uh, I think another year in the lower levels could be in store for him. Yeah, he's still pretty high risk, and when you have guys like. You know, Lucas Sims, Colby Allard, Max Freed, all number three upside SPs. So to me, that that's more worthy of putting on there than a guy who could maybe hit 260 with 20, 25 homers, which is kind of what I would expect out of Davidson if he makes it to the big leagues. 
Uh, Tuki Toussaint, for some reason, still gets a ton of love. I, I, I get, I get the upside, but I, I feel like you kind of gotta make him at least, at least show something over a, a prolonged stretch before you put him in a top one hundred or something like that. Uh, Man, Manny Benuelos and Tyrell Jenkins are the guys to keep an eye on for this year, though. I think both of those guys make at least a handful of starts, and if they do well with it, then they could stick for the rest of the season. Oh. Rio Ruiz made your tiered prospect rankings for 2016, though, didn't he? As a late, like your final late round possibility uh, to look at there. I had drafted him in a deep format, like the NFBC, you know, draft champions mm-hmm. where you draft 50 players. I drafted him with one of my final picks. Limited, like 150 at bats. Is that what we're talking here this year? Yeah. So his numbers were terrible last year, but Mississippi is one of the three or four toughest places to hit in minor league baseball. So I don't really hold that against him. If he were to, if the bat were to kind of turn on again at, at triple a, then your scenario where Adonis Garcia flops, maybe Ruiz is the guy that yeah. earns the call up before a guy like Malik Smith or something like that. So he's not a high profile enough prospect where the Braves are going to let service time factor in anything. Mm-hmm. And so if he, is ready and they decide that Garcia is not a long-term option for them there, then he could, he could get the call maybe at the all-star break or something like that. We'll move on to Miami and this system. We, wow. we shouldn't stick around Miami. Yeah. Let's just pass by uh, <laughs> drive through. I guess you could say Josh Naylor, 18 years old. I think he was like the 11th or 11th pick in the first year player draft last year, somewhere around there. Nine to 11. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all, but what a big boy. <laughs> 18 yeah. years old, but can he even play first? <laughs> like, does he have the agility to do that? Because even at his age, he's uh, he's massive. Yeah, I think uh, a good scenario if you're the Marlins or if you're a dynasty league owner of Nailers is that he doesn't get any bigger than like Prince Fielder. <laughs> I think that if if he He'd just happy if he keeps his weight around peak prince fielder weight then i think that that's something you could at least work with <laughs> yes but that's not even a given at this point so i don't know he's he's just really he's a long long ways away and he's number one on this list so that kind of tells yeah. you about the guys after him i i stone garrett's a toolsy outfielder that uh has speed has power but I, there's a ton of those in the lower levels and you know tyler Kolick we've talked about before plenty of upside there but i don't think he's gonna figure it out to the point where he'd be more valuable in a rotation than a bullpen and you know after that it's just a bunch of guys that didn't make the top 200 brett lillick's a little interesting as a lefty that's got really good control kj woods is just a kind of a poor man's josh naylor i guess and and then you have you have just some org types like austin dean and jarlin garcia so it's yeah, Erlen Garcia was your best bet for 2016, but, but you that say was, at the end, right. stay away, stay <laughs> far, far away. Yeah, that that was a. I'm I'm in the process of writing up the uh, Angel system right now, and like the, writing the Garcia piece for this was gonna look like a walk in the park compared to <laughs> trying to pump someone in that Angel system up. But yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't touch anybody in the Marlins system in 2016. I had a. Keeper league owner trying to pawn Tyler Kolick off of me in recent weeks, and that was never going to happen. 
Uh, but he probably shouldn't even be owned in even a 17-team keeper league where 10 minor leaguers are rostered. Yeah, I mean, it it just kind of depends what your personal philosophy is on minor leaguers. Like, if all you care about is striking big on a, a high upside guy, maybe you could make a case that he's a top 150 prospect or something like that. But if you are more realistic about lower level arms then i don't i don't really see a case for that i'll well, move on to the mets because yeah there's very little to get excited about in that marlin system uh adam conley's a guy though not not prospect eligible anymore but a young guy that i will be keeping an eye on throughout spring training we'll go to the mets steven matt's holding down that number one prospect spot in that organization but with him about to officially graduate from prospect status Dominic Smith about to, to become the class of that that system, and I was reading transcript of Keith Law's Q and A from yesterday, and he said Dominic Smith at his age, uh, at twenty years old, has more power than Conforto did at that age. Would would you agree with that? <laughs> uh, that's kind of apples to oranges for me. I mean, Conforto was a college bat that hadn't had. And be, or hadn't had MLB coaching or development staffs working with him, mm-hmm. so it's just tough to say. I mean, it's they, they didn't come from similar places, so it's it's hard to make that comparison to me. But you know, maybe I, I think Smith. The big thing on Smith that I want to get across is that he gets undersold for what his future power could be, just because his minor league numbers don't stand out for a first baseman Mm -hmm. but when you have scouts at the afl saying he's the best pure hitter down there and he's 20 years old and when you see him just hitting double after double after double i I think that those doubles start going over the fence he's got a big body i mean it's it's not a body where you'd be surprised if he started hitting only six foot but I mean, he's there's, he's got that like there. he looks like a power hitter. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not a. I'm trying to even think of like a first baseman like that that doesn't have the the like Jake Bowers like for instance is a first base prospect who hasn't hit much power, but I don't see him developing much power. Like it it's not a projectable frame. Whereas I think Smith is Smith's the type of guy that's going to add power. Yeah, As led he, the Florida State League last year with 33 doubles. Yeah, so. and Some Florida, of start Florida State League, yeah, and oh. he was in the Florida State League last year, and that's like one of the hardest hitting environments in the minors. Like mm-hmm. if, if you hit 15 homers in the Florida State League, you might lead the league in homers. So I think Double uh, A this year is going to be a pretty interesting test for him. Uh, first base is kind of a weak spot in the minor leagues. I'd still take you know, A.J. Reed, Josh Bell, Bobby Bradley ahead of him. But he's, I think he's the next guy. Unless I'm, unless I'm forgetting someone, he'd be, he'd be the number four first base prospect for me in the minors right now. So don't, don't forget about him. Don't sleep on the power just because he hit six homers last year. Yeah, I think that would be uh, a mistake to do that. I, I think he's one of the guys that I believe he's unowned in, in our staff keeper league. Possibly. That I think will probably be one of the top targets in the first round of the reserve. And he's. The floor, he's got a high floor. Like for a guy his age, the hit tool is so advanced. It's it's probably one of the five or six best hit tools in the minors right now. Like he's gonna hit enough, and he can he can field first base to where at the very worst he'll just be like James Loney, which 
you know, it's it, that's not saying a lot from a fantasy perspective. But back in the day, you could have flipped Loney in a dynasty league for for something pretty nice because he was still kind of a, a shiny uh, prospect when he first came up. And if if you know, at the very least, you'd be able to do the same with Smith. Now, Brandon Nimmo is a guy who was also mentioned that that uh, Keith Law Q and A and. Laws kind of soured on him. That's what sense I got. Just kind of said that at a certain age, he's, he stopped developing. What are your thoughts on on Nimmo, and could he be an option at the major league level this year? I think he's a fourth outfielder, and I was never really that high on him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think Keith's right. I mean, given his age, it, it's you'd you'd want to see something that by now at, in terms of the the power or the speed he you know he was billed when when they drafted him i mean that was a su- surprise pick when they took him 13th overall in in 2011 it, but he was billed as just this this tool shed this guy that was going to be able to kind of do it all really hasn't materialized that way and the it's not like he's got this awesome hit tool that he's showcasing that's going to be able to carry everything even if the power doesn't show up so I, I just I just see fourth outfielder there, and that even might be kind of a stretch given how deep they are now. Marcos Molina is a guy whose stock has taken a significant hit as he underwent Tommy John surgery at the end of last season. We've kind of coined him the face of of minor league baseball. Eighty hair, mm-hmm. I'd say, but uh, you know, eighty chill, eighty chill. I'm gonna have to throw him back though in our keeper league. Because with that proximity pushback right. uh, fairly significantly, I don't think he's worth rostering. Now, you do have Dominic Smith as your player in the system with the most upside. Who behind him, though, has the, the second highest upside, would you say? Mats. Well, I mean, uh, so I'm just kind of. Okay. I'm assuming Mats, you know, he's going to graduate from uh, prospect status. Well, when I say, like, most upside, it's just like, it. What's what are the potential outcomes? And there's the potential that. Ahmed Rosario could be a star still. I mean, he's he's got – I love his body. You can see why people projected power growths, but it hasn't really materialized yet, and I definitely wouldn't suggest giving up on him. He's actually – you know, if you if you buy low on him right now, that could end up looking like a brilliant move by July. Mm-hmm. But I think that at this point, we really kind of have to temper expectations. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just was the, the big-time leaper up lists this year. I mean, he's got that kind of potential, but I, I would probably bet against it at this point. We'll jump to the Phillies, and we, we've talked about their top three prospects uh, at length in po- past episodes. J.P. Crawford, Nick Williams, Jake Thompson, who you just traded, right? In yeah, a, in a but that was a... That was a deal where uh, Nick Schlain was just like, all right, I'll do this for uh, for Turner and a prospect. You can pick the prospect. And I, I decided that Jake Thompson was the prospect he got there. And what, what Actually, I should have just I should have just sent him Gabby Guerrero. Yeah. I I I think I'd like he said prospect and I was like, oh, well, who so are my prospects? Prospect. <laughs> I think I'd already taken Oh man! Well, I I might have thrown Thompson back though. That's interesting. It, before we move on, any reason in particular? I mean, I, I kind of liked him. No, I like him. Season. I I, th- I would have thrown him back in the context of that league and the context of me needing, like, I would like to have at least three open minor league spots heading into the reserve draft to try to snipe some guys that I have ahead of Thompson. So 
I like Thompson fine. He's a top 100 prospect. I just, I think the, I think it's like a number three sort of upside and not all that safe, even even given how advanced he is level-wise. Interesting. Well, fourth in this division, you have Rice, Ho- Rice Hoskins, who we haven't talked about, so I want to g- pick your brain a little bit here. Uh, it's going to be 23 come opening day. At maybe starting back at the double or starting at the double A level, but Ryan Howard going to be a free agent after this year. Is is Hoskins the guy who's going to step in and take over at first base in 2017? He might do that at some point in 2017. He it was a two level year for him last year. Uh, completed low A and high A. Killed it at both levels, you know. Hit hit over three hundred, OBP over three ninety, slugged over five hundred, seventeen combined homers, really good contact, good approach, no real red flags. You'd expect that from a a highly touted uh, college bat at first base, but he was a fifth round pick, so I think it's it's still worth noting that he had that kind of success in his first taste of full season ball he'll be uh getting a, a real test this year at double a so that mm-hmm. i think it'll be interesting to kind of see how he handles it april may sort of see how he's doing there but if he hits the ground running at double a this year then you know look out he he's he's a legit top 100 guy i think and not many people are aware of him just just because of if he the hit tool if he gets to play in in philly you know, we could be looking at 20-plus homers there. So I, I I like him a lot as sort of a, a sleeper heading into this year. It's very interesting. I will definitely be sure to keep an eye on him. Friend of the program, Mike Chess, uh, asked me about Nick Williams recently on Twitter, and he, he threw a comment on your article. Uh, might as well address it now. Nick Williams, when, when is he going to be on the, the Phillies 40-man roster? Because he's attending spring training with the Major League Club, but this there's that's more about experience. This team has no reason to, to rush him he's only 22 I mean the adjustments he made last season very encouraging but do you see him being anything more than a September call-up for this team he could beat that ETA it's just a matter of how he handles triple-a pitching in the first half I, I don't know I, I think JP Crawford probably beats him just because they have outfielders now that they are probably going to want to give a a fair look at before they bring Williams up you know he hasn't hasn't faced triple-a pitching given his uh, you know he's improved a ton on chasing stuff outside the zone but he'll be getting a lot of junk you know, people are going to be trying to get him to chase at triple-a and it'll be interesting to sort of see how he handles that I think that the you know Phillies I, I, the usual can or the obvious candidates are Odubel Herrera and Aaron Alther for for production this year on, on terms of their their young outfielders, but also Tyler Goodell, I think is a guy to kind of watch in, in really deep leagues because, you know, Peter Borjos is slated to start the year in center with Herrera and left, but Borjos isn't a sure thing to be productive at all. And if Goodell gets a shot, I think that they, they like him enough that he was their first pick taken in that, that rule five draft. So, uh, if if all three of those guys stay relatively productive, I don't think they're going to push Williams at all. Whereas Crawford, if he's really kind of forcing the issue, there's nobody really standing in his way. Now, 
Mark Appel, of course, coming over in the Ken Giles trade, uh, coming over from Houston. He does crack the Phillies' top ten, only barely, though, ninth in that system. Change of scenery, help him get back on track here? I'm not a big believer in change of scenery, especially with prospects. like Fresh start. Right. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's cliche. It's, Honestly, he probably wouldn't be a top 10 guy on this list if it wasn't for the name value because mm-hmm. I think that – and I said that in here. Like, if he gets off to a, a hot start in April or May, you could still flip him in some dynasty leagues, I think, for a top 100 prospect. And that alone gives him more value than a guy like Adonis Medina or, you know, Andrew Knapp. I, I, I don't really like Andrew Knapp, but uh, – I, I just I think Appel is a back end starter, or I don't I don't really know what he is. I think the fact that Houston was willing to throw him in there is kind of an ad- admission of defeat, considering the the he was on the same level basically. If the reports are true as Derek Fisher, like they were kind of deciding between whether to send Appel or Fisher. Fisher's fine. I, I, I like Fisher a little bit, but that that kind of shows you how far down Mark Appel is and we we've been kind of uh down on Appel at Rotowire for a while relative to other sites and now everyone's starting to catch up I think he's not even uh, he's a fringe top 150 guy for me right now so I think you should probably be throwing him back unless it's a league that rosters 200 prospects very interesting uh, we'll jump to the Nationals final team in the division before we grade out our latest hip-hop artist. We're going to do Juvenile today, uh, Juvie. But the Nationals' top two prospects really have been under a microscope in the prospect community for some time. Lucas Giolito, Trey Turner, we could touch on them shortly. But Victor Robles is a guy that I think is interesting. Only 18, going to be in the lower levels. ETA far off in the distance. Only four homers last season, but... Uh, an impressive speed for one, but is the power going to tick up as he develops? I think it might. And he already kind of showed pretty impressive power for his age last year, four homers in uh, about 60 games between rookie ball and short season ball. Really good. 20 total extra base hits. Really, really four homers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a small, yeah, it's a small sample for sure, but, He's just, you know, he's still 18. He's going to be debuting at low A as an 18-year-old. I think there could be double-digit double digit homers in that bat. And he kind of reminds me a lot of, I don't know, he, he reminds me a lot of Manuel Margot, but he might even have a better hit tool. Like, I, I think that everyone is kind of in love with his hit tool, might not have Margot's speed, but it's still really, really solid. He's got an arm. He's got a right field arm, but he's going to play center field. So everyone kind of is in love with him in terms of his upside. He's still hasn't played at a full season league yet. So that's why he's a little lower on this list than other guys. Uh, or I mean, like he, he upside wise, he's, he should be higher than Trey Turner here. Uh, Upside-wise, he's up there with some of the top outfield prospects in the game. He's just further away than most of them, so that's why you won't see him in our top 20 right now, but he could easily end the year in our top five. I mean, that's that's what the upside is. So if 
I think there's a good chance that if your league doesn't allow in-season pickups, he's available. So he should probably be a top-five pick in that scenario. I would take him over Brennan Rodgers. I'd take him over Dansby Swanson. I just think it's it's five-category goodness, and it's going to move pretty quick. That's, uh, that's interesting. Eric Fetty is another guy that we haven't really talked uh, about on this podcast. Uh, had Tommy John surgery, uh, knocked down his stock, hurt his stock in the, entering the 2014 draft, but uh, you mentioned, I, I'm pretty sure you wrote his outlook for the magazine, correct? I think so, I think yeah. so, because you mentioned that the fastball velocity after his return last season, back near the mid-'90s, complements it with a, mm-hmm. a slider and a changeup, uh, potentially three-plus pitches, not going to debut until, I mean, no no earlier than late 2017, mm-hmm. as you point out there. But uh, is this a guy that, like in our keep, staff keeper league, maybe in any leagues that roster 150 players, a must-own type of guy? Yeah, and I think, I, if anything, I might have been a little low on him in the top 200. I think I have him just outside the top 100. That could That could look pretty stupid in, like, May or June. I mean, he's really got number two upside. I think DVRs actually got him in SKL two, so he won't be available there. But uh yeah, I I am a pretty big fan given the age, given what he's coming back from, he actually could move kind of fast, you know. It's uh I mean just the fact that he went up to low A last year, he's probably gonna start the year at high A this year and they're gonna probably be watching his innings just just the same way like it's it's Lucas Giolito kind of all over again, mm-hmm. although the upside's not really the same. But he'll still have the training wheels on this year, but heading into 2017, that's when he could be making a case to be like a top 25, top 50 prospect in the game. It's very interesting. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, another guy that I'm really excited about. But I think everybody wants to know about Lucas Giolito. This is somebody that, you know the the 2016 expectations very hard to nail down right now. What what are your expectations for him this year? Because this is a team that should be highly competitive again. I know they have Bronson Arroyo signed to a minor league deal's depth, <laughs> but that's no none of these uh, none of those back end guys are going to hold Giolito down. Yeah, I just I don't know what to predict in terms of the Nationals and how how many opportunities they're going to give guys like AJ Cole or even Austin Voth, who's on this list. Those guys might have proven that they're, they're kind of done with triple a before Giolito has even pitched like 30 innings in triple a. So if Tanner Roark gets hurt or if there's an injury to one of the four guys that have secure spots, they might give a guy like Cole the opportunity first and I guess I wouldn't really fault him for that because then once you go to Giolito, you're basically kind of shutting the door on those other guys. Like it, you might as well just kind of mm-hmm. give them another shot or maybe even if it's only like a two or three start uh, trial because they have enough talent on this roster to get into the postseason without Giolito until June or July. But I think I think we see him – at the latest, I think we see him right after the All-Star break. At the earliest, we could see him in May. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned the maybe some reluctance to uh, to pull a guy like Cole out of a starting role or, or maybe just kind of give up on him uh, as for terms of an option for 2016. Danny Espinosa is going to have a lot shorter of a hook, I'd say, this year. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no – if he's struggling early on, there's no point – 
and waiting that out, I think that a move to Trey Turner at shortstop could well happen within the first couple of months of the season. And I think their big league camps in in, in AAA, they're you know how Espinosa and Turner do in the eyes of Dusty Baker is going to go a long way to sort of determining the length of that leash. Like if mm-hmm. if Baker really likes Turner and sort of views him and and he starts making comments in spring training about how you know this kid really surprised me you know I was surprised at how advanced he was for his age like stuff like that then I think you could see him in April and I mean he might even win that job like there are some sneaky situations AJ Reed at first base for the Astros is another one where the guy could just win the job even though we we aren't expecting him up until April or May there these teams are competing and you know Turner's already been up, so his clock's already started. So there's no financial reason really to to keep him down if if you think he gives you a better chance to win. And Espinosa's proven that he's a quality util guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he can play perfect sh- util, guy. right? And you you might there's a lot of ways Turner could get in. I mean, he would need Murphy to get hurt for him to play second, but Anthony Rendon's not a pillar of health so he could get hurt then you move Murphy to third and then Turner Espinosa does second the other one to short I mean there's a, there's a variety of scenarios where this could play out where Turner's up pretty early so I don't ding him too much I know uh, I think it was Jan Levine was asking me about on, on Twitter about if I'm downgrading him because of the Murphy signing and the fact that they're maybe still in the Ian Desmond mix, it would be kind of weird if they brought Ian Desmond back at this point. At that point, maybe you do downgrade Turner a little bit, but uh, the Murphy signing doesn't downgrade him too much for me. Well, great stuff, James. Thank you for sharing your insights on all these prospects. And be sure to check out James' Farm Futures piece going up every Tuesday from here, really, for the foreseeable future, at least through the end of the regular season. Uh, which division is up next week? AL West. AL the, West. Yeah, I said working on that Angels. Yeah, I right. think I'm going to try to keep the total Angels part of that divi- that division preview under, I don't know, 200 words. Well, we we'll, all we'll thank see. you for that. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you, you, you just know in advance to just skip right over it unless you – I'm going to try to at least make it entertaining. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe you want to indulge yourself with that. But there, there's no real hard-hitting Dynasty League analysis coming in that section of <laughs> next week's article harsh but fair I'm, I'm excited to see what you have to say about a guy like franklin barreto sure. some of those guys in that a system specifically but we'll move on gonna be grading our latest rapper on the 20 to 80 scouting scale uh grading the five tools that we've established for evaluating uh hip-hop artists lyricism flow longevity impact swag and then overall grade juvenile juvie from the cash money glory days Still around in some capacity. I've actually read that he's working on a new album with Lil Wayne and, and Manny Fresh, which is kind of interesting. We'll start with lyricism. See, you just bumped down your grade. Well, <laughs> I I uh, I would have put it lower. I mean, this shouldn't really it's be the case. I didn't want to offend you by putting it too low, <laughs> but now that I saw that you had it at 30, then I felt comfortable <laughs> going that low as well. Well, thanks for taking my feelings into account. No, I <laughs> I, I know you're you artists. have your attachments to to these these OG rappers and that's that's cool. Listen, I, 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 I do like too. Juvie. Yeah, Don't I know, wrong, you do. but 
the lyricism is man, lacking. It takes a big man to be a Juvie fan and admit that he's a, he <laughs> has nothing when it comes to the lyrics. There's really nothing there. I mean, this is a guy who <laughs> whose first song, first big hit, was a song where he said ha after every line. Right. Then he just kind of continued like, that as a way to get by. You understand? Uh, yeah. Uh, even back that ass up. Uh, yeah. I like really kind of I liked uh, the idea behind ha. Like that, I th- yeah. that one. Like when I, I first love that song. When, yeah, no, that's my favorite Juvie song. I, I think a lot of people like back that ass up, but I'm a ha guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Four hundred degrees, great album. <laughs> His best album, I would say. Oh yeah, uh, mile. Yeah, thirty thirty for me. There's no if you, if you can come up if you can find me. Like three or four straight bars of quality lyrics from yeah. from or Juvenile. even like a witty lyric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you anything yeah. anything witty, anything quality, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Real JR Anderson, and I'll retweet you. And I'll personally admit that I was wrong on last yeah. week's app, and I might even bump him up to the thirty. CC me at Clay yeah. W Link because uh, I, I'm going to be digging, uh, but I don't think I'm going to have any success finding mm-hmm. one. But thankfully, what he makes up. Or what he lacks in lyricism, I think he makes up to a large extent with flow. Uh, that southern drawl he's got, uh, I really like. Plus, it's it's a unique flow. Mm-hmm. It's a unique flow that, and I think that's really what kind of separated him uh, from the the pack in the late '90s to begin with. I got a sixty-five if, on that if, on the flow grade. If drawl was a category, then I would have had him in pushing seventies, but. <laughs> Uh, I went 45 on the flow. I think that his flow on songs where he was given a good beat was always pretty solid. But mm-hmm. if he didn't really have a, a strong beat, like his flow just didn't really do anything for me. Like he couldn't salvage a track with if, if there wasn't a good beat. I don't really think he could salvage it. Whereas some other rappers with with plus plus flows could could kind of usually do that so 45 for me there interesting uh plus in my opinion but i i agree that uh you know once manny fresh left the cash money scene it's tough sledding for juvie because he, he kind of does need a, a good beat <laughs> to have that flow really kind of to really complement the flow but longevity i got a 35 here now did have strong work on the hot boys collab albums but aside from 400 Degrees, that window was really short. I mean, Nolia Clap was like one of the last songs I can remember from him really kind of starring in. And that was from like, what, 2003 or four? Well, Slow Motion, I guess, too. Right. The Slow Motion kind of gives him a bit of a bump here because that was quite a while after his debut i'm mm-hmm. trying to at least see here so that, that was that a was... soldier slim song though for the record that he kind of right. repurposed um but there was another what was the other song on that album that was maybe juvie maybe, the great juvie it was actually great, a pretty maybe. good album um yeah well okay so that was almost well it was five years after 400 degrees i could maybe bump that down uh <laughs> I, I gave him a I'm, I'm gonna bump that to a 40 that's uh, fair so yeah i mean Really, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the only thing that's going to be lingering in anyone's mind, if if at all, about Juvenile is going to be 400 Degrees album. So. Yeah. Now, we have, with that in mind, though, we both have impact at uh, with plus grades. I got a 60, you got a 65. The impact may not 
you know, the ripple effects of his impact may not carry over to today, but at the time really put cash money and Southern hip hop on the map. And we've seen guys like Lil Wayne, mm-hmm. uh, and countless others capitalize since that door has kind of opened really with Southern music in terms of popularity, kind of on par with any coast, uh, in the United States. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that he put Southern hip hop on the map because, well, I mean, like even like Scarface, like, I mean, there's a lot of guys that came before him from the South, but he kind of put that style that, I mean, like you said, he put cash money on the map. Like nobody, I mean, he was cash money at the very beginning there. Mm -hmm. And so I, I threw a 65 his way you know who knows what happens with Birdman and Lil Wayne and all those guys I mean they 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 probably go on to have have solid careers but that was kind of he he broke down the wall for those guys Mm -hmm. to to kind of come in and you know even the album covers you know every everything everything he sort of did with 400 degrees and even like the g-code uh, sort of set in motion what became that whole sort of cash money tree of Southern rappers. Mm-hmm. So while like I don't, I don't necessarily think a ton of those guys, other than than Wayne really, and and maybe a little, little big timers here and there. BG man, baby, I know you you <laughs> love BG. Uh, that it, it's not all like excellent rap in my opinion, but it's it's a lot of successful rap that that happened in big part just because of juvenile yeah and there's it it doesn't hold up particularly well but there's some gems still to be found in that cash money that old cash money library swag you're throwing some shade on the swag grade with a 35 i got a 50 mainly because i have the good memories of the ha video in my mind with juvie just doing his thing gold teeth just mean mugging the entire time what is the reasoning behind the 35 grade here? So I never really dug his look. Uh, you know, even just even the cover of his, his best album, 400 Degrees, he's wearing a baseball hat straight forward with sunglasses underneath it. Uh, terrible look, really, especially, especially for a rapper. Uh, didn't really kind of carry himself in any i mean i know that the ha videos quality but just i don't know he kind of looks like you know your your uncle that's kind of still <laughs> trying to get things together like not not really a a rapper swag so mm-hmm. much like if i just saw him walking down the street i wouldn't think even if even if he was in like his favorite clothes like his most expensive clothes that he wanted to buy like i wouldn't look at him and be like, oh, man, what's that guy up to? I'd just be kind of like, oh, oh what's, happened, what's happened to him, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's true. <laughs> and even when I, like, in the heyday, when I was really kind of big into juvenile and cash money, wasn't a guy I wanted to, like, well, I can't emulate any rapper's look, but not a guy, like, I wanted to look no. like. I don't know? think anyone has ever seen juvenile and been like, that's the look I'm going to go for. <laughs> That's true. I, I threw fifty out there. I should probably. A lot of, re- lot I should of, probably revisit. A lot that of do rags. A lot of bandanas. I'm gonna go forty. I like Juvie, but I can't justify. You know what song I was three. thinking of, which is why I gave him that that longevity grade, is uh like Rodeo off of a uh, Reality Check. There, like mm, that that okay. album. Like I think there were 
um, at least a couple songs that got some got some spins. So I mean that that was almost Juvie the Great. I thought was kind of slept on as well. Overall grade forty for me. I got a fifty. So same grade I gave DMX. I think those two. Uh, I know you favored DMX by a fair margin, but in my mind those two uh, pretty close. See the, to on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the MLB comp for Juvenile might be. Maybe like a, like a Jose Lima, you know, just Ooh. just sneaks in, gets a 20, like 20 win season, and then is immediately <laughs> just <laughs> just yeah. disbarred from the league. Yeah, so. well, Juvie at least has that twenty win season, so he can carry his <laughs> head high. Rate and review the podcast if you get a chance. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back with you next Thursday, guys. Todd Zola, Paul Spore will be back with you on Friday. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.